Um, you know, since the beginning, God created us to know him and to enjoy him. And he also created us secondarily, not primarily, but secondarily to enjoy the things that he loves to lavish and provide for us. And so even before that he creates us in his image and likeness, he creates a place for us to enjoy and to steward for his glory. God's always had a heart for us to know him and love him and seek him. And then secondly, out of a grateful response to do for him and to extend his life and purposes with joy. And what happens is, is that sin disrupts this relationship. And because the relationship gets broken, so do our desires. And we end up wanting God for what he can do for us, not for who he is. And the context of this morning's gospel is the Passover. And going back the last couple of weeks, you remember that Jesus is um, trying to convey something very important about who he is and why he has come. And the crowds have a little bit of a mixed reaction to that. But it's really powerful how Jesus is reenacting the story of the Passover on this weekend in John chapter 6. And just as God provides for the Israelites in captivity, meeting their need to set them free, Jesus feeds 5,000 people who are far away from home and in need of him to do something to help them. And just as uh, Moses and the Israelites are afraid, getting pressed on every side by Pharaoh and the Egyptian army, uh, and God parts the water so that they know that they don't have to be afraid because God is with them. So Jesus, in the midst of a big storm, when the disciples are afraid they're going to die, he walks on water and comes to them so that they don't have to be afraid. And just as the Israelites are wandering in the desert, reengaging their relationship with God in desperate need, and God provides manna in the desert to provide for their physical needs to point to the fact that he's going to provide their spiritual needs. So Jesus now, in our gospel reading this morning, lets the crowd and the disciples know that he is the bread of life. And what I'd like to do is I'd like just to, um, to walk you through the scripture this morning. And I might even call on a couple of y'all to read certain bits of it if you're okay with that. Because this is, a really, um, this is a really beautiful picture of what true faith is all about and what it means to be in relationship uh, with Jesus. And, and we begin John chapter 6, verse 22 through 27. And what we find here is... Um, that the crowd is, is engaged. And they're, they're thinking what Jews would be thinking on Passover weekend, particularly in the context of what Jesus has just done in feeding, miraculously feeding, 5,000 of them plus. 
And it was a common belief that the Messiah, when the Messiah came, would bring manna from heaven just like Moses had done in the desert. So that's what the crowd is thinking. Now, take your, take your uh, imagination back to that place, if you can. Um, the people are far away from home. They're hungry. Jesus has just miraculously fed them. And they're convinced that Jesus uh, is the Messiah, right? So they want to seize him. They want to make him king. So what we have here is a crowd that's acknowledging what Jesus can do for them. And because what Jesus can do for them, they want more of Jesus. But what's the problem as you look in verse 22, 23, the the crowd realizes in verse 24 that Jesus and his disciples have gone. They've moved on. They're not there. Nope. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been uh, working on a trip with Anglican Leadership Initiative. It's a a group that I work with, and we take pastors from all over North America into the wilderness for several days to really enforce gospel friendship, humble collaboration, and lifelong learning. And uh, we're actually branching out, and we have a trip, uh, we have a sea trip, and we have a mountain trip, and we're looking at a desert trip. And so the team's asked me to uh, R&D that, and I've been doing that research and development. We're planning a trip for a couple of weeks, and um, one of the things that we do is we have a logistics or an outfitter uh, crew that we come alongside to help us with uh, particularly food and some of those things so that we can focus on the relationship and the content. And as I've been working with this out for for the last couple of weeks, we finally went over the itinerary last week. And I'm so grateful uh, to Joe who put the food in the itinerary. Because one of the things that I get anxious about is when I'm going um, into the backcountry and I'm not in charge, and I don't know if there's going to be enough food. Seriously, it, it makes me anxious. Like, I've gone backpacking so many times, and um, I'm always the one in charge, and I tend to make sure that there's enough food for everybody, because I don't want anybody to go without. And it's also my personality to make sure that there's food that's there. And so I got anxious about that, but I noticed that that we were going to have food on this trip in a couple of weeks. But it really says something about how we think. Is we have this, this, this need, this craving, this gnawing for physical food. And if we don't know where that physical food is coming from, we tend to get anxious and worried and very concerned, and rightly so, because without physical food, we will physically die. Well, it's the next day... And this crowd was hungry again. And they really wanted another fish sandwich. That, that's what was on their mind. That's what they're thinking about. So they go to find Jesus. Jesus is gone. 
and they don't know where he is, and they, they think that he's probably crossed over the lake, and they're wondering, well, how are we going to get there? It's kind of a long way, long walk around, but they notice that some boats have washed up on shore, have, have landed on shore from the night before. Remember the storm? So some boats probably seeking safety from the night before up there on the shore. So they get in the boats and uh, they cross over to Capernaum to find Jesus. Why? Because they're hungry and they know that Jesus can feed them. And it makes me think how often I'm the same way. How often my first thought of Jesus isn't about who he is, isn't about how wonderful, how glorious, how beautiful and amazing the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Messiah is. My, my first thought is so often, Lord, I got this sermon coming up this week, and I need you to do something so that it'll get done. Lord, I've got this project at work coming up and I need your help. I, I need you to step in and, and make it better. I've got this relationship, Lord, that I'm struggling with and I, I need your intervention. I need you to come in and make things right. Lord, I, I'm sick and I need your healing. I'm tired and I need your rest. Lord, me, 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 me. And I try and bring Jesus into the midst of me. In my circumstances. And there's nothing wrong with seeking Jesus or asking for him or his help. It's the attitude and the perspective from which we do this. This is what's going on with the crowd. They're doing the right thing, but they're doing it for the wrong reasons. They're pursuing Jesus, but they're pursuing Jesus with the wrong motive. They want a Messiah for sure. But they don't want a Messiah to love and to worship and to serve. They want a Messiah for what they can get out of it. They're focused on how wonderful it was to be saved from hunger and to have their needs met, not how wonderful it was to be in the presence of the living God, to be in the presence of their loving creator. The staff has been journeying through Lent and uh, one of the ways that we're journeying through Lent together is with this, uh, this Whole30 thing. Have y'all ever heard of Whole30? I, I, I would just encourage you not to. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's basically uh, a way to reset the physical temple that God has given us and created us with um, to the purposes for which he created us. And so uh, you take away sugars and grains. It's just meat and vegetables and fruit. And um, it's not about losing weight. That's, that's not what it's about. It's about refocusing our need on Jesus, on who he is and who he created us to be. And for me in particular, it's about correcting my craving. Um, particularly on last Tuesday, which was Barrett's birthday. And um, I, have, I have lunch with my kids at school on their birthday. And um, I'm, a, I'm, 
I'm not even a week into Whole30, and Barrett desires Cane's. And so I, I go to, uh, to Cane's, and I don't just pick up uh, one lunch, because I figure as long as I'm there, I'm going to have lunch with uh, Susanna afterwards. And so I pick up two bags of Cane's, and I don't, I don't know what they put in Cane's, but uh, like, it's like extra sensory overload whatever they put in that oil or whatever it is. So I'm driving to Cambridge Elementary School. My, my, my car is just like, literally the windows are fogging up. Like it just smells so good in there. And, uh, and, I, and I resist and I think, Jesus, I, I really need you. I wish I craved you and your word like I craved this. I used a bad word. And um, I was hungry. <laughs> and, uh, and so I had a wonderful lunch with Barrett. And then um, I realized that I had about 45 minutes until Susanna's lunch and I needed to go find some lunch. So I go get some, you know, leafy green stuff at Central Market and come back. But Susanna's food's been sitting in the car the whole time, right? So I'm, again, exposed to canes and I go and have lunch with Susanna. And the thing about Susanna, she doesn't eat all of her canes. And so there's plentiful plentiful opportunity there for me to help her be a good steward of her food, and yet, and yet I don't. And then Barrett, uh, we go to his birthday party later that afternoon, um, which is at main event, which is a whole other sermon illustration. Uh, but, you know, there's just a, a bounty of pizza, pepperoni, cheese, like really good, lots of extra pizza that seven-year-olds don't eat all of. And then to, to top off uh, this spiritual exercise that the Lord is putting me through last Tuesday is my wife's homemade chocolate cake with chocolate icing. Homemade chocolate cake, homemade chocolate icing. And, and watching um, my wife and, and these kids eat this chocolate cake, realizing there are so many things that I want right now in this day more than Jesus. And what I'm learning is what the crowd was learning, is that Jesus wants to be sought and appreciated and loved for who he is, not just what he can do for us. He's not a formula for results. He's not a tool for our projects. He's not an impersonal genie who comes to grant our wishes. Jesus is a person. He's a man. He's the God-man who comes because he wants to be with us, because he wants us to be in relationship with him again. He comes because he wants to be known and appreciated and loved and worshiped simply for who he is. And so having found the Messiah on the other side of the lake, the Son of God, the crowd should have fallen down before him and just worshipped him. But they don't. Would someone read um, in John chapter 6, verses uh, 26 through 29, could someone read that loud enough for, uh, for all of us to hear? John 6 26 through 29. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw a sign, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
Do not work for the food that the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they asked, then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Thank you, Marcus. Okay, so do you see the subtle shift? Now, now that they've, they've arrived and they're with the Messiah, they want what he can do for him, them. And so they ask, and what are they thinking? In order for Jesus to do something for them, they have to do something for him. See, the crowd's thinking in terms of what they have to do now in order to get Jesus to do what they wanted him to do for them. You thought that was just American Christianity. They were thinking in terms of works. They thought that by being good or by doing something good, that they could win Jesus' approval. If Jesus would just accept them because of something that they did, then he would do for them what they want him to do. If they could just do the right thing, Jesus would like them and give them a fish sandwich. I find myself thinking about that in a way that is not really comfortable for me. Because unfortunately, so often that's my mindset as well. If then. There is no if then clause in the gospel. There's just a it is finished. It is done because God loved. God so loved, he gave. It's all based on what Jesus has done because of who he is. And this is the realignment that Jesus is trying to help the crowd understand. That it's all about Jesus, not them. It's about what he's done, not what they can do. He's lovingly correcting the crowd. They don't secure favor with him based on their efforts. They don't receive his acceptance based on their good works or their exemplary moral behavior. The reason why Jesus loves them, the reason why Jesus looks favorably upon them and has mercy toward them is because of who he is, not because of who they are. It's because what he has to give, not because of what they have to give. And that's why in verse 29, he says, the work of God is this, believe. Set your mind on the truth of who I am. Set the affections of your heart on the beauty and the joy of who I am. Come to me 
Because of who I am, believe with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, I am the bread of life. And this would have been a really great moment for the crowd to surrender. To turn away from their selfish ambition, to turn away from the pursuit of physical gain, to cease their desire to bring Jesus into the center of their world so that he could do stuff for them and to align themselves to him and to his kingdom because of who he is and because of what he could do for them and what they could do for him. But they don't do this. In verse 30, they say, well, what sign will you give us that we may see it and believe you? The crowd is demanding proof. I mean, is it, is it lost on you that it's the same weekend that they saw him feed 5,000? They witnessed it with their own eyes, and that's why they had pursued him in the first place. But even in this exchange, verses 30 through 33, what is Jesus saying? He's claiming to be the son of man, the one who gives the bread of eternal life, the one who God had sent into the world, the one who God had put his seal of approval on, the one upon whom they are to believe. Now, I know in San Antonio in 2017, that sounds like a list of you know, pretty good things, but for a Jew... In about 31 AD, that was a clear, coherent claim to be God. But they demanded more proof. Can you imagine what Jesus is thinking? Like, I've done it, I've said it, I've done it, I've said it, and you want more proof. What does that say about the crowds? What does that say about my own heart? They were ignoring the signs. They were ignoring Jesus' teaching. And they were holding him at arm's length in the invitation that he was extending to them. They were so caught up at having their needs met. They were so inwardly focused so self-focused about what Jesus could do for them that they were blind to his presence. They were blind to the loving presence of their creator. And so they keep demanding to see what had already been revealed. But they couldn't see him. So they keep asking to see, but they can't see what he's showing them. And they can't see him because they don't believe him. And here's the nature of true faith. Faith is not seen and believing. Faith, true faith, is believing. And by believing we see. We believe before we see and when we see it reinforces our belief. That's the biblical definition of how faith works. And so in verses 
34 through 40, they're like, yeah, man, sir. Always give us this bread. We, we want what you got. And so Jesus goes at, goes at it one more time. What you really want is me. I'm the bread you're looking for. I'm the satisfaction your souls require. I am the bread of life. It's a phenomenal claim. And here's what Jesus is saying to the crowd and to us. If we come to him, the bread of life, we will never hunger. Our craving for life will be completely satisfied. Our famished, desperate need for relationship with God will be fully nourished and sustained. Our craving for love, for joy, for peace, all that which we were created for will be energized and strengthened. It's why Jesus has come. And his promise is this, that all those who turn to him, not just for a fish sandwich, but for who he is, will not only be satisfied in every way, but will never, no never, Jesus says, be turned away. Jesus receives us into God's household. And he sets a table before us. And he calls us sons and daughters of the Father. The family of God restored to right relationship with the Father and with one another because of what he has done for us. And the invitation is not anything less than to come and be and enjoy and thrive. To sit at the table, to be fed and nourished and satisfied, to be filled with good things, with the promise that nothing can separate us from God's love at that table. He will always keep us close in the Father's love for all eternity. So that's the invitation for us today as we come to the table. It's the invitation that so many of us hear, and yet I'm convinced, like me, we don't really receive at the heart of its intent. Because at the heart of its intent, it's an invitation to surrender.
And that surrender comes with life. And it comes with the promise that he's going to save physically, emotionally, and spiritually every man, woman, and child who turns to him and believes. Even up to the final hour of the very last day, the day of the resurrection, the Lord's fulfillment of our emptiness is complete. It's ultimate and it's final. No matter the trials, no matter the heartaches, no matter the hurts or the attacks of the enemy, Jesus will fulfill us as we surrender to him for who he is and feed on him by faith and with thanksgiving. Let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge the ways that we want from you more than we want you. And we ask, Lord, that your word would stir in our hearts, not just that we would nod in agreement, but that we would turn to you this morning. And in the eating of the bread and the drinking of the wine, we would surrender and acknowledge more than anything, we love you. We want you. We align ourselves to you and we worship you alone. Come Holy Spirit and satisfy the longing and the hunger that Messiah has promised to satisfy. We pray in his name, amen.